Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our tracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim, as ever, is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. We're going back to the 1940s today, and we're going down under to find out more about one of the original Hall of Fame greats from the Australian turf. A horse who also possessed the biggest ever consistently measured stride in thoroughbred history. His name was Burnborough. Now, there are arguably two different kinds of war hero. The first is the actual soldier who fights bravely for their country, laying their life on the line if necessary. The other kind of war hero is the diversion. Someone, or something, that the civil population needs to rally around during dark times, to offer them hope and inspiration of a different kind. During World War II in Australia, there were countless folk who fitted the first category. But as for the second, many Australians chose their escapism via horse racing. And the overwhelming hero for them was Burnborough. Yet he wasn't just a conveniently good horse who popped up at the right time. His massive size was forever matched by his massive ability. That said, his origins were inauspicious. Fold in Dalby, Queensland, and by imported UK stallion Ernborough out of elderly mare Burn Maid, his most notable feature was a mane that fell to the left rather than the right, a relative rarity in thoroughbreds. When bought as part of a wider dispersal lot by Jack and Frank Bach, he was described as the lousiest thing they'd ever seen, and soon leased to Albert Hadwin. Trained by Bobby Mitchell, at two, the lousy thing was now a 17.1 hand monster, with a huge girth and a ground-guzzling stride. It was no surprise that he would eventually remind so many of Australia's previous great, Farlap. He balanced his massive frame well, and ran in a unique way, with his back legs splayed out much further apart than other horses. Yet despite winning nine of his first 14 races in his first two seasons, he was restricted to the bush track of Toowoomba, 80 miles west of Brisbane. This was because Frank Bach had been found guilty by the Queensland authorities years before of running a ringer, i.e. swapping one horse for a lookalike in a race, and they had banned him from running any horse outside of Toowoomba. Bach no longer owned the horse, but the Queensland Turf Club wanted to send a message, and the loser was the increasingly brilliant Burnborough. Twice he was sent to race in Sydney and Brisbane, hoping for leniency, but each time was barred from running at the last minute. To further distance him from this disrepute, he was sent as a five-year-old to be trained by Harry Plant in Sydney, and sold outright for 2,600 guineas to restaurateur Azalin Romano whose eponymous restaurant was the place for Hollywood and actual royalty to be seen when harbourside. This move was sufficient to allow the Toowoomba Tornado, now with a proper countryside reputation, to run against all comers. This move was sufficient to allow Burnborough, now known as the Toowoomba Tornado, and now with a proper countryside reputation, to run against all comers. From now on, he would be running in his fifth set of colours but these ones 
orange, purple and black, would be the ones that he would forever be associated with. Plant had to manage his huge charge cleverly. He was to be burdened with crushing weights, and as a horse that always tried his hardest, that meant risking his legs. He had already had several cases of corns in his tender hooves. His first race in Sydney was an average fourth, and the locals began to consider that the horse from the bush was overrated. This was spectacularly misguided. For what followed has entered Australian racing law. Burnborough would notch up victory in each of his next 15 races, across the big racing centres of Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, from all distances between 6 to 11 furlongs, each time with colossal weights on his back and in the top-ranked races, including the Newmarket Handicap, the Chipping Norton Stakes, the VATC Futurity Stakes and the Rawson. He had become invincible, and his growing legion of fans loved it as a distraction from the ongoing horrors of war. During this amazing streak, his lightweight jockey, Athol Mully, quickly realised that Burnborough was most comfortable following a set routine. At the start, he would be kept right back and relax, often 20 lengths behind the leaders, before going through the gears in the home straight and unleashing a pulverising turn of foot. It worked a charm every time, and more than once, his final four furlongs in a mile race were timed at 46 seconds, an otherworldly time in a turf race considering he was carrying over 10 stone, 140 pounds, at the time. His secret weapon, aside from his courage, could well have been that stride. At full tilt, it was regularly measured at 8.6 metres, or 28 foot, thought to be the longest of any accurately measured thoroughbred. Old Aussie fans had their favourite of his races, the Newmarket Handicap, 28 runners, no starting gates, a sodden track, visibility not great. As the peloton of horses entered the straight, radio commentator Jim Carroll was more honest than many would be in his situation. I just cannot find the favourite, he screamed. Eventually, he did find him, achingly far behind, with 15 horses in front of him and two furlongs to run. But as one eyewitness recalled, and then, through a great heap of horses, as though he wanted to make as dramatic an entrance as possible, exploded the massive form of Burnborough, mane flying and head extended. Impossibly, he got up by a head. Of course he did. The pinnacle amongst this immense streak was the 1946 Doomban Cup, over just shy of 11 furlongs. Burnborough had been assigned an unbelievable 10 stone 11 pounds, 151 pounds, a weight that not even Carbine or Farlap had ever been asked to carry. Plant, who genuinely cared for the big horse's welfare, was coerced into running by the ebullient Romano. The story that Plant, while saddling Burnborough, was heard to say, you wouldn't run if I owned you, old fella, was not apocryphal. In front of a huge partisan crowd, and against a vast field of 27, Mully played his usual game, dropping Bernie 15 lengths shy of the leaders. Halfway through, he pushed the go button, only for his big mount to run straight into the retreating Philly tea cake and almost fall. The situation almost repeated itself a furlong later. With time running out and the rails jamming him in, 
Mully had no option but to swing his mighty horse around a wall of six horses to the extreme outside and do it the hard way. Incredibly, despite these challenges and the weight of a train on his back, Burnborough won by a length and in a track record. Performances like this were once-on-a-lifetime treasures, and all this by a seven-year-old. Yet all good things have to end, and in Burnborough's case it was nearly the very end. After running poorly in the Caulfield Cup, Mully was replaced by Bill Briscoe, who chose to ride differently in the November 1946 LKS McKinnon Stakes. Up against one of the great Australian fillies, Flight, whom he had beaten several times before, and challenging for the lead under another monstrous weight, Briscoe heard what he swore was a gunshot, but was in fact Burnborough's right foreleg sesamoid bone snapping. All were in shock, and the camera proceeded to ignore Flight's win, and focused on the distressed Burnborough instead. Often, a horse will have to be euthanised in such awful circumstances, but this smart colt quickly learned to minimise the pain by walking only on his three good legs and lying down whenever he could. He would obviously never run again, but he had saved himself for a career at stud. Australia heaved a sigh of relief and then reflected on what this giant bay had achieved. The Daily Telegraph didn't hold back, putting together a 33-page tribute. He had an appeal that spanned all ages. Visitors to the stable had always been allowed to put their toddlers safely on his back, as he was a truly gentle soul. It is only fitting that a statue was eventually raised in his honour, in his initial hunting ground of Toowoomba. It is the largest bronze statue sculpture in the Southern Hemisphere. Bought by admiring movie mogul Louis B. Meyer, for the highest price ever paid at the time in the US for an imported stallion, he was given a tearful adieu before boarding for California and eventually Kentucky. He was a fair success as a stallion, siring winners across all of Latin America as well as the US and the UK, where he was even grandsire to Grand National winner Jay Trump. He died in 1960 of a heart attack in his paddock, his head cradled in his heartbroken handler's arms. But in Australia, he will always be more than special, as a horse that could seemingly do the impossible, and who in turn helped the country forget the turmoils of war. As journalist Joe McCarthy wrote in awe, he could carry the grandstand and win. And with it, one senses, he carried the heart of a nation. To find out more about Burnborough and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and explore those exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening.